What is up, everybody? We have the Vols ATB crew back on the podcast tonight. We have Dr. Vol, Brando, Alex, and Drew. And for those who didn't know, Alex and Drew were on the podcast last week and have officially decided to become co-contributors. So they will be regulars on the podcast. Um, both guys are super knowledgeable, and we are very excited to have them. So first topic for the night, um, I guess let's just go ahead and dive into Kentucky. We got our asses totally whipped, 107 to 79. Um, just starting off initially, it was super hard to watch, and I was disgusted. I really couldn't watch a lot of it, but then when I look back at the numbers – we really didn't play that bad. Kentucky just played that good. That's my opinion. Um, but we'll go ahead and start off with Dr. on his first thoughts about Vols versus Kentucky. I mean, you know what's insane uh, is that is the only conference game we've had where we've hit over seventy points. So it was our best offensive game, and we got boat raced. And the other thing I'll say about it is Folky again. That is the second straight trip to Rupp where he's not scored a point. And I believe the trip before that was when he scored 27, something like that. So, Fulke again, not showing up. And, I mean, what are you, you going to do? I mean, they played like when I played on NBA 2K where I'd set the shooting to easy, and that's what they did. I don't – there's nothing we could do about that, honestly. I know a lot of people said defense, and they did get some open shots, and uh, our defense could have played a little bit better. But hell, when you're playing again where they're not going to miss it, what the hell are you going to do? I, I'm, I really don't have a lot to say about that game. I didn't expect to win it. I didn't expect to get killed like that. But again, I didn't expect them to play like the Lord either. So, that being perfect. So, yeah, pretty much everything Dr. said, I can agree with that. Around probably ten minutes with the in the second half, I kind of knew the feeling that the game was over with, but. Uh, Obviously, like we touched on it last week when we were talking about leading into this game, when you don't have John Fulkerson or one of your older guys stepping up to be available in the game, it's really hard to win, especially when Kentucky shot nearly 70% from the field. Uh, defensively, we could have done a lot better. I think there's a stat out there where it was like Kennedy Chandler's defensively like gave up like 30 points just alone by himself, and we ended up losing by close to 30. So, you know, a lot of defensive errors, turning the ball over. Uh, I think it just all boils down when not having those guys, you know, getting hot and getting ready. But Folky and Triple J, when they can't get going, our team is kind of defaults. And, I mean, like DR said, it's our best offensive, offensive performance, and we still lost by 30. So that's all I can really say. Yeah, I mean, I agree too. If you, if you tell me before the game that we're going to shoot 54% from the field and 48% from three, I'm going to be like, yeah, we're, we're right there. Like we're, we're either in that game or we're like taking the lead away. But then, I mean, Kentucky turns around and shoots 68 from the field and 61 from three and 95% from the free throw line. That's astronomical. Like there, I mean, if, if they're all hot, like you said, DR, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. You just kind of have to take the L and go with it. Um, another thing that was interesting is that we had 20 turnovers that led to 32 points for Kentucky. And, I mean, we shot ourselves in the foot there. That's an uncharacteristic game of us taking care of the ball. So, I mean, like y'all said, they were hot. It was a good night in Rupp, but what can you do? Guys, do you remember that quote that Derek Dilley had? I think it was the Alabama week of his first season where he described us as the Germans on D-Day, where we looked like we just had no idea what we were doing. 
that's like literally the first thing I thought of when I watched that game last Saturday. It was that we just looked completely clueless on what was even happening, had no idea what to do. And I mean, it's kind of like what DR Ball said. Uh, I mean, like, you know, we didn't really play that bad, like overall. Um, you know, I mean, we shot 53% from the field and almost 48% from the three, which honestly, in any other game, we, uh, I mean, we would have easily won. But, you know, I was looking it up today. Uh, you know, Kentucky shot almost 68%. They shot 67.9% from the field, 61% from the three. Guys, that is the best performance they have had since 1981 when they shot 76.5%. In the game, by the way, when they only scored 34 points. Um, so, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's just like it didn't matter even if Tennessee played a perfect game. It just it wasn't going to happen. I know a lot of people were pissed about it, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just those games are going to happen. And, I mean, I still – there's no need to hit the panic button, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it always sucks to lose Kentucky by 30 points. <laughs> Literally. I was I was honestly shocked. Um, I had to go back and re-watch it just because I was like, did we really play that bad? I started looking at the numbers, and when I watched it, they were just totally lights out. It was truly unbelievable. I was sitting there like, damn, they might have taken a pe- play, page out of LSU's playbook and sold their souls to win that game because they literally played – like it was unheard of because we they played so well I want to ask everyone do you guys think that if Kentucky plays that way anyone can beat them will they win at all um if they perform like that the rest of it throughout the season mm, I think the Nets at full health could beat them um probably the 98 Bulls could beat them college-wise no no I mean that 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 was just an outlier. I, I I would go to say that they're not going to shoot like that that again rest year until they play us again because that's just Tennessee. But they're not going to shoot like that again. If they do, they're not going to lose again either though. And I, I just don't see that happening. It was just su- such a Tennessee thing, you know that that's our favorite thing to say as Tennessee fans. Well, for negative fans like me, is it's a Tennessee thing, and our best offensive night, and they just c- could not miss. Um, but if they shot like that, no, they wouldn't lose. But they're not gonna shoot, they're not gonna continue to shoot like that, not consistently, I don't think, especially come tournament time. Yeah, I, I agree. I honestly see this Kentucky team being hard to beat probably when it comes down to it. Not just their shooting and how well they shot, but their ability to score points off of their turnovers that they did just like against us. Uh, we were ranked the number two defense, and the announcers made clear note of that multiple times. and the way they were just able to dominate and drive, like they can do that on anybody if they can do that on us, in my opinion. So I think when it comes down to it in the tournament, if they can get locked in, it's going to be a, a really scary team to beat. I mean, yeah, when they're when they're firing on all cylinders like that, there's not a team in the country that could beat them. Probably couldn't get within 15 of them because that was just crazy. And the thing about basketball is like one player might be hot and you can handle that. But I mean, all five that were on the floor were hot. The 10 that were on the bench were hot. I mean, anybody that came in, they were going to hit some kind of shot, multiple shots. So, I mean, if the team's doing that, you can't, you can never do that. But also, you got to think, even though freshmen are an integral part of the game, is that at the end of the day, they're still freshmen. So, when they go on the road for a tournament game, like that's that's kind of when they get their wake up call, like, oh, okay, we gotta we gotta lock in, like it's just us. 
And that's that's where you kind of rely on that veteran presence. So I mean, if they can if they can get past that, then they'll be fine. But I always just like a couple upperclassmen on the team just to solidify the rotation and all that good stuff. So yeah, I mean, like if you're shooting seventy nine percent from the field in the first half, like I'm sorry, there there's not a team in the world, even NBA included, that will that you can um, that will beat you. But again, it's just it's one of those like literally probably the best performance as a program they've had in 40 years. I mean, it is statistically, it was just a complete performance from Kentucky. I'm not worried about it. They've shown in the past, you know, that they will, you know, hit cold streak as well. I mean, they showed that in the LSU game a couple of weeks ago. And honestly for us, I'd rather have these type of games happen, get out of the way in early mid January, than as opposed to coming to the end of February, early March, closer to tournament time when we need to start getting things going. So I'm not too worried about it. Very well. I'm kind of on the same boat as you guys. Um, it really was just impressive all the way around. Back to us, I thought one of the biggest surprises and kind of highlights in this matchup um, was Huntley Hatfield. I thought he contributed really well in this game. He gave us 11 points, was four or five from the field, and only played 10 minutes. Do you guys think that he will be a key contributor, or do you think that he'll just kind of be popping on and off the bench, giving us minutes and seeing how that goes? What is y'all's opinion on him? I mean, we, we've we got a uh, – I'm trying to pull it up right now. We've got a two-game sample, though, and, yeah, he did that against Kentucky. But, hell, against Vanderbilt, he had 13 minutes, one rebound. That's all he contributed. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. It seems like, honestly, he would have done better against Vanderbilt in Kentucky. So two-game sample, I have, I have no idea about him. If you go off his ranking, yeah, he should be all-world, but we'll see. Oh, yeah, he's a, a top-level talent for sure, ranking-wise. But, you know, against Kentucky, they were already up, you know, 20, 30 points, had a, a distant lead. It makes sense why his stats were, you know, kind of padded there, but – like you said, against the Vanderbilt, you know, only one rebound. It's hit or miss, but it's definitely a guy that we do need to try to get some kind of playing time and development if we do want to go, like, further into the season because obviously what we have right now isn't working. And uh, seeing Euros having to be the leading big man is blasphemy to me. But, you know, we just need some help down there, I feel like. And if Hunley Hatfield can do that, then we're in good hands. Yeah, personally, I think that – the time to develop him was early in the season when we were playing some weaker non-conference teams. And now is not really the time to try to figure out what kind of player you are. But I mean, I'm, I'm always for him getting part of the rotation just because like he said, uh, we've got or he's got a lofty, a lofty ranking and he obviously had the talent in high school. And I'd love to see that translate. He just seems a bit uh, like a step slow. And I think that's what really kill, kills him on the interiors that people are just quicker than him. So he can't really step out and guard a guard. And then he's just kind of getting out muscled under underneath. But also, let's take a time to just brag on Euros for a minute. His his minutes have been great recently, and it's it's really cool to see him get to be a part of the team and actually like getting the flow of the game. Because I know he's a fan favorite on the outside on social media and stuff like that. So I know I'm kind of straying away from the question, but just want to shout out that boy Euros for a minute. I know like a lot of people are like you know have high hopes on Huntley Hatfield and everything, but people need to remember that you know. This kid enrolled in class early, really should be still playing high school basketball. You know, he's a year behind everyone else. Uh, and, you know, and I mean, I know people want to have him out there, but like, just like how you, just like how I think about John Fulkerson, he needs to step to the side, 
get a clipboard, maybe learn, watch some film, and just take a deep breath and relax and try to contribute next year. Because he's he has a lot of great potential, could be great for us, but he is nowhere even close to even being ready to play in this type of level. I pretty much agree with that. I felt like his expectations coming in were just a little bit too high. Um, you know, I mean, especially like you mentioned, he entered early. I didn't even know that. So you just taught me something. Um, so I don't know. I was just in this game specifically, I was very shocked by Fulkerson's lack of play. And really, I what did he do? I don't think he did anything. Two shots, right? 20 minutes. Um, So that was a big letdown. I just didn't expect that. Um, But overall, I mean, we just got to move past this whole game. Do y'all have anything else to cover on the Kentucky debacle? Well, you kind of raised a good point, Lois, that, uh, what was it, two years ago when we lost, like, our whole starting five and we had to rely on Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden? We really wanted Bowden to take that step and be the leader of that team to be, to be the 20-point-a-game scorer. And it didn't really happen, and some people aren't just built for that. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Fulkerson. Um, I don't think he's, like, the lead of a team, but he is a great sidekick, uh, maybe even a three option. So I hope I just hope that he can figure it out. That was just something I kind of thought of to draw parallels between the two. But just for sure. figure it out. Yeah, for sure. I You know, and – Again, I don't want to do the whole folky hate thing, but it's just sometimes it's just not, you know, you don't have a good season or you don't have a good game or whatever. But the important part is that the team is like together as a unit. Um, I guess that was I mean, I did not really want to cover Kentucky, so I'm I'm ready to move on. Um, So last night we played Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt. Um, which, by the way, enacted this absolutely absurd rule that the students who pay God knows how much money can't even attend their own game or sit in their student section. So I thought that was pretty nuts. I'm very glad that UT did not do that to their students. So just a side note there. But anyways, it was a super close game. Vols ended up winning 68-60. to There was a super fun little tussle there with four technicals probably my favorite part of the game honestly um dr first thoughts on last night yeah you kind of stole my thunder on that low honestly it was good to see uh, you know offense has been lacking uh, and it looked like we put in a new um rotation last night or starting five rather and we had a little fight to us and I, I will say this, this is kind of what's disappointing. Euros and Ziegler are showing more fight than Triple J and Folky. Now, beginning of the year, there's no way. I, I don't care who you are, unless you're Miss Cleo, who sees the future. You wouldn't have said that at all. And that is, I don't know how to put it. I'm more disappointed in Triple J and Folky. Granted, Triple J got hurt, but I'm more disappointed in them than I am happy. Um, surprised by Euros and Ziegler, honestly. So that, that that's really disappointing to me. Um, end of the first half, Euros, I don't know what the hell you're doing. You fouled on a shot that's like he had maybe 15, 20% chance to make, and he got two points out of it because, I, honestly, it, it, if you're in that moment, I think it was just 
that was his reaction. Like, bam, I got to stop it. But man, you got to think about where you're at. You know, Chris Weber years ago in the Fab Five, uh, he didn't think where he was at, called a timeout. And granted, this is nothing like that. But man, you got you got to realize the situation. Let him make shoot that shot. If he makes it, well, he's on Sports Center. But odds are he's not going to make it. Instead, you just gifted him two points. You know, shot at three points. Yeah, I'm pretty much agree there. The game for me was too close to my liking. Uh, getting off work early to go watch the game and seeing it be, you know, a two to three point game all the way into the finish, you know, was nerve wracking to watch. But I like the fact that we did have Zakai and Euro stepping up, but I also hate the fact that it's them having to step up for the guys above them not doing their job. But seeing Euros and uh, Scovy have some fight in them and some aggression, you know, not taking any talk from the Vandy guys kind of got me fired up. Uh, my favorite part was the part where we struggled all year was shooting free throws. And I think in the last minute 30, we hit six free throws. We ended up winning by six. So those free throws, you know, ended up counting for a lot. I think we shot 80% from the free throw line or somewhere near there, if I saw correctly. So hitting the free throws, getting our shots, you know, it turned out to be a huge, huge part in this game. Yeah, I mean, in this game, it kind of – I was really hoping for the LSU-South Carolina part two. We come off a bad loss, get a 20-point road win, but that wasn't in the cards. Uh, like you said, Brando, that was definitely too close for my liking. And it did kind of look like we were just playing not to lose. Like, we knew we were always going to win, but we were just like, okay, just like don't mess up. But it's like if you go out there, play free, just play hard, like stuff will happen, good things will happen for you. But also, just like Brando said – we shot 86% from the free throw line, 25 of 29. And that just shows you how important those are, especially in those close games where your shots aren't falling, you're not playing solid defense, or the uh, the refs got a happy whistle. Because I think there was, let's see, if my math's correct, 49 fouls total. <laughs> so, I mean, when you're playing a game like that, free throws are obviously important and knocking those down, stepping up, just being confident. That's big in those games. And like we've also been saying, uh, Euros had 13 points, seven boards. Six to seven shooting from the field, one for one from the free throw line. Outside of that dumb play he made at halftime, he made a great putback when the score was at 60s to put it to 62-60 when we needed a, a lead late. So, again, just shout out him. Shout out for stepping up in that new role. I think this was like a much-needed performance, especially the last minute half or so, you know, when, they, when Scotty Pippen Jr. hit that, you know, three-pointer to tie it up. I really thought. I was like, oh, my God, we're going to lose to Vanderbilt, you know. But I really thought – I mean, I was really impressed with the adversity that they had. Uh, you know, like Brandon mentioned, you know, we shot 25 to 29 at the free throw line over 86%, which was a, such a huge thing that we struggled with all season. And, you know, I really believe if we didn't hit 25 of those 29 free throws, we would absolutely have lost that game. I, was, I think this is personally also one of the best defense performances we've had all season, you know, with forced – Well, basketball. Drew, are you there? We can't hear you. Drew, you're like you're like Hulk in the paint. You're non-existent. Um. We will come back to Drew. It looks like he may be having a little bit of technical difficulty. 
Um, <laughs> what I was gonna, I, I guess I'll just pick up for a second. Um, I really liked to see a change up with um, Folky not starting. I thought it was, I just really kind of liked the change in the lineup. You can't keep repeating the same thing that isn't working and expect different results. Um, honestly, I think he came in and played better off the bench. That was just me. I don't know if that was a translation for you guys or not. Um, in terms of lineups and trying stuff out differently, I thought we looked most productive with Chandler and Ziegler out there at the same time. Um, what were y'all's thoughts about different lineups we tried? Which was your favorite? I don't know what my favorite is, Low, but you hit on it. I never in a million years thought I would feel more comfortable with Euros out there than Folky. And, like, when I when I talk about Folky, I'm going to put this out there. He has given me some fantastic memories. I am not shitting on him. I love the guy. Obviously, he is not the same Folky son of what we're used to, you know, last two years. Um, I'll say this about Euros. That guy's came a long way, you know, and I owe him apology. I put him up there with the basketball JG. I didn't like watching him play, but honestly, he's been fun to watch, and he's been a pleasant surprise. I will say I wonder, and we're going to figure out more, well, you know, with LSU coming up, is it a reflection of his competition? Uh, I mean, he looked good, don't get me wrong, and without him, we would have lost Vanderbilt. But is it his competition? uh, Or is it him? And, you know, we'll figure that out. And, I think we, we've got to figure out an offensive identity. Now, that was one of our complaints about Pruitt was some games we would just ground and pound and some games we'd hurry up. You know, like when you go to a buffet, it's well and good. You get a little bit of everything. But, you know, Golden Corral can go to hell. I would much rather go to Longhorns and know I'm going to get a damn good steak, whereas I can get nachos and steak and spaghetti at Golden Corral. I want Let's do one thing good. Let's get offensive identity going. And I think that's a lot of our problem, honestly. It was the problem. We won the game, but that was our problem in uh, Vanderbilt because we won, which is always good no matter what. But, shit, I don't know what we're doing on offense. Yeah, it's been great to see uh, Euros as a player grow. You know, like him starting out as a stick and just kind of going up there. Now he kind of understands his ability and how to use his height and his advantage. It's been good to see him finally have that confidence and it'll be interesting to see if like that translates going further into the LSU game. If he does get the same amount of minutes, it'll be the rotation. I personally do like the rotation of having Euros out there and having Zakai and Kennedy on at the same time, because you have two guys with speed and then you have Euros who's going to give you more than folky. So I feel like if it's something that's working, we can, you know, maybe try it, but if you can have, (laughs) there he goes again, but if you can have a, the two and just get the offense clicking, whatever can get these, you know, you know, the most fight out of the guys I think would be better, but I'm personally one of like a, a small three having uh Vescovy Kennedy and, you know, uh, Zakai out there all at the same time. You know, if you want to go small or have just like minutes where you can go small and get the most out of your guys, because I feel like defensively that might be our best option as well. So that's just me. I think it shows that Zakai and Kennedy and also Santi just like want the ball. Like it shows that they have confidence that they want to attack you. They want to go get points. They want to like make the play. So I think that's big. And that's why they're out there for a good portion of it is because when the shot clock's running down, you can see like if it's got, if the post player's got the ball, they're like looking to get it to one of them. And they're like, Hey, you go make a play. 
So I think that they're important in that aspect. But also, I I really liked uh, Meshack or Mashik. I don't know how to say his last name. Meshack, I think. I liked his minutes. I, I really liked him coming in. And again, it was just something different. It was something to switch up the rotation. Um, things were have been going the same way because they've been ran the same way. So try something different. I mean, what's that going to hurt, you know? Like, granted, we did have a lot of confidence in the Vandy game. We kind of assumed that we were going to win. So that is a game you can try to, like, tweak with the rotation a little bit, try to get somebody else extra minutes here, there, run a play for so-and-so. But I liked, I liked him coming in. And I really like the way that Justin Powell shot the ball. Honestly, one, because he just did. And that's the biggest threat is that he's on the court and that he will shoot it. So I just want to see him get more reps, get more shots up, and just let his confidence grow. So Drew tried to attempt it to come back, and he's not back yet. So I'm just going to fill in until he comes back. Um, I personally, I thought first and second half were way different. Um, I thought even though we weren't hitting our shots, our ball movement was way better. At In times, it looked so much better and reminiscent of, like, the guys we always talk about, Williams and Schofield and Bone, just highlights of it. But I could see it. They were moving fast. They were looking for – they weren't even looking. They knew where each other was. I could see that some in the second half, and that was nice to see. Um, the sucky part is that the shots weren't falling in, but at least they were taking more shots. Um, I thought they gave a better effort defensively and just better effort overall, especially – Ziegler and uh, Euros and overall here's why Ziegler's energy makes such a difference so he shot 0 of 8 from the field and 0 of 3 from the three-point line but he had numerous steals every time he was out on the court everyone fed off of him energy wise and he made 11 of his 12 free throws and we won the game by eight points so I just think he is a game changer. Even if he's not hitting the shots that he's taking, he is making up for it in other ways. That's another reason why he's just my favorite guy out on the court. Um, and then Euros, of course, stepping it up. Like DR said, I'm just totally shocked. I mean, in the best way, but I did not expect him to come out like that. Six to seven, 13 points, seven rebounds. Um, and I also, the other thing, I thought we did a lot better with offensive rebounds. We never, I feel like we never get an offensive rebound, literally ever. Um, looks like Drew popped back up. I'm going to try and add him in. Drew? All right. Do I sound normal now? I mean, I, I don't know what happened there. That was <laughs> good. We are back. Um, you can go ahead and jump on in. I kind of just reviewed Euros and Ziegler and we kind of went over our favorite lineups from last night, but if you want to give your takes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the lineup we had last night was probably uh, the best one that we've had all season. I mean, I just I feel like after like last night, you, you got to start Plavsich at the five from, from here on out. And I think you can do a little switches with maybe having Zakai at one and then Chandler at two or even like, you know, or Viscovia two. But I think, I, I mean, I there's, there's no way you can put Fulkerson in, in any shape or form of that lineup for the rest of the season. And, and I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's still dealing with COVID. I, I don't know if it's like he's just not 100%, but like the guy is just 
he's a complete liability. I mean, he's scored one point in the last three games. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't even know if you play him anymore. Like that's that's like that's how bad it's gotten. But um, yeah, I think the lineup they have right now, I would keep it as it is. Have Plastic at the five, maybe have Triple J at the four, and then play three guards after that. But um, I don't have any complaints from uh, with the lineup from last night. I've got a question for all of y'all with Folky. If he's not a local kid, do you think we love him as much? Um, I think people love him because he's been around so long. I also think that people really, well, a lot of people I know anyway, and kind of myself included, really got it, got started following UT basketball with Williams and Schofield. And from there, he was kind of a favorite and they just clung to him from there. Um, I personally don't really, I love to see local guys succeed and to come to the university. However, I am not afraid to criticize them <laughs> if, if, or just evaluate their performance. Um, and of course that's coming from me who doesn't play, but that's what we're here for on this podcast is just to talk sports. So I'm not like, Oh, they're from this place. Like I will forgive everything ever, you know? Um, but a lot of people are, and I think that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I'm not personally, but I feel like that may be a thing for some people. I don't know. I think it does play a role with him being from here. Though. That's the reason why uh, people do favor him so much throughout all this. Because, I mean, it's been – if it was, you know, like you mentioned earlier, if it was JG or something having these kind of games, zero points, no touchdowns, no, like, negative passing yards, three picks, six is back, you know, flashback. But uh, if it's that, you know, we're ripping him, you know, telling him pack his bags, get out of here already. But, you know, we've been letting him have, you know, two – two-point games, zero-point games, you know, taking zero-two shots, hoping that he's just going to bounce back and it's like an illness thing. And I'm starting to think it's not. I think it's just a regression of playing six years and people finding out who you are as a player and what you can and can't do at your position. And, you know, I wanted to, I was going to talk about it earlier, but also, like, as a position group just as a whole, you know, as our big men, like, it's all either development guys or guys that are in their third or sixth year, you know, like, how how does Tennessee as a whole get out of that with big men in the position? I like, I don't know. It's, you know, if y'all have any ideas, but as a whole, I just feel like big men like it's it's hard to get any production out of it, and now it's finally you know you're seeing it with Euros. So who knows? So I think it's it's all the same depending on where you come from, but I do think that the local kids get um, like it's it takes a shorter amount of time to jump on their bandwagon. And it takes a lot longer to jump off of it. So I think that they kind of get like a longer leash in that sense um, because we I mean, we we want to support those kids like we want to support the ones that we know per se. Like, I mean, honestly, I kind of know him a little bit personally. I played against him in high school some before he moved. But I mean, you know him, you know of him, like, you know, the areas from, you know, like places in his hometown and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's natural to want to pull for the people that you actually kind of have somewhat of a personal connection with. But I mean, we've we've kind of like circled around uh, non-local players and we've circled around foreign players. I mean, like Lo said, she started with saying like, oh, we love Saney because he he threw an elbow like he fought back. So 
I think I think the location kind of determines how quickly or not we we kind of like pull for you and we make you a fan favorite. But I mean, ultimately, it does kind of boil down to performance. And I think also I think that's kind of why we're so hard on Falk is because, I mean, freshman year, he comes in. He almost helps us to a win at UNC at or against UNC at UNC. Then he hurts his elbow and then he's out for the rest of the year. So it's like, dang, like what what could he have done that year? Like I think that year would have been pivotal for his growth. But um, he's, I mean, he's given us huge moments, like Dr. said. Like he he kind of single handedly went into that Kentucky game a few years back and won it for us. So it's like we know it's in him and we know he can do it, and that's just why I guess that hurts so much because it's like, man, we know like who you used to be, quote unquote, and we just want to see that again. So I'd, like y'all have said, it's nothing personal. It's just like we want it for him so bad, and we obviously want it for ourselves, for our team as fans. But Are we still talking about Falking? I mean, I would like to try. Yeah. To- <laughs> Drew, I, I want your opinion on this. I, I asked, would your – well, hell, I don't even remember what I asked now. It was it was about Falky being a local kid. Would you think differently of him, or would you give it up on him if he wasn't so local? I mean, I understand that, like, you know, he's an East Tennessee kid and everything, but, you know, you got to put him on the bench. You know, I'm, I'm fine if he wants to be a cheerleader. That's fine. But, like, the guy is just the most – he's been he's easily the most unproduct, unproductive player that we have on the roster. He might even be more unproductive than Victor Bailey Jr. And that's, that's saying something, too. But I appreciate all he's done for Tennessee. He definitely loves the balls, and I, I respect that. He's gave us some great memories. But if he wants to do what's best – Sit to the side. Uh, Lo, not to take your spot, but you know, Alex and Drew both hit on this. <clears throat> Alex talked about Mayshack. And when I got done looking at the box score at the end of the Vandy game, I was kind of surprised because I really thought he, if you watch the game, he did more than what the stat sheets show because uh, on the box score, he had seven minutes, but he never scored, no rebounds, nothing, but he just seemed all over the place. And then Drew hit on Vic Bailey. I mean, he's just, I don't know, he, he's a body. He Two minutes, he's done nothing. And I don't get it because, what was it, two years ago against South Carolina, he had, hell, almost 30 points. But, you know, we were talking about the rotation thing, but Barnes, and I'm very critical of Barnes, but he's very limited. I, like Triple J, man, he's not hitting anything. Uh, Fulkerson's not doing anything. Huntley Hatfield, huge recruit. He had no points. Victor Bailey, Mayshack, they're not doing anything. You don't have a lot of options on this team. Like what I like the way that he recruited this team, I, I think he had it right in his head. Besides, he probably need another post player, but there's not been a lot of production on what you depended on. It's been guys you've been shocked by, Euros and you know, um Ziegler. And you, I guess you, to me, I didn't expect that. I mean did y'all really expect Ziegler, who's not six foot tall, to be that big a contributor? Not me. Oh, no. And if you say, yeah, you're lying. I, I just, I, I'm very surprised. Like the guys we thought at the beginning of the year we could rely on, we couldn't. And the guys we thought would just be role players, they've been our lead players. Well, let me flip that for a second, too. People always or recently have been like, Barnes doesn't know had a recruit and he went out and got Ziegler who was an unranked player and is one of our biggest contributors on this freaking squad. And also to your point, imagine even if the people who were shooting like shit played defense like Ziegler. Think about that. 
I mean, he shot terribly and still had a huge impact. Basically, won the game for us, essentially with his steal. You're right. Well, it's not. It's 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 an effort thing. I think. Yeah, and that's sad. I hate that. I don't know why. I don't know how that changes. It did kind of seem to change last night. I, I mean, in the second half, especially, I felt like. Um, it was more of a united effort. I could tell that they were really going after it. But it does kind of seem like an effort thing. I mean, it, is everyone bought in? I, I don't know. Um, Do you think that's a mental thing, Low? Like, we go into Kentucky at Ralph Arena. It's like, if you've watched any basketball, you know Kentucky's a blue blood. But Vanderbilt, you're like, ah, little sisters of the poor. Do you think that's got something to do with it? I don't know. I I would hope, but I'm not there, but I would hope that they wouldn't allow that type of mentality in their locker room, but sometimes you just can't control it. Um, that's kind of how I felt like it was. I mean, it's been for in other teams and everything, but with this team, I don't, I just really don't know. Uh, sometimes it just feels like they have no chemistry, and then sometimes they just have great chemistry for, like, little spurts. And I'm like, if they could put that together, it'd be phenomenal. Um, I don't know. What does everyone else think? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Uh, you have a lot of guys that have, like, the same, same skill set. I feel like – I don't know if that has anything to do with, like, why we don't get production out of some guys, but, like, having some guys at the same position that have, like, the same skill set. So, like, when you have Zakai and Kennedy, like, they play the same kind of game, you know, using their speed on offense, playing defensively. And then when you have your developmental big men, you know, it's Euros and Huntley Hatfield and it's guys that are still on the verge of learning the game. So, like, if we had, like, a expanded starting five where guys, you know, shot at their – own kind of spot on the court, you know, I feel like it'd make our offense a lot, a much, like a lot better, but you have guys on the court at the same time, like Zakai and Kennedy that are either going to try to drive to the basket most times then you know, they're making ineffective passes that are getting stole. So like, you know, like that, that's the one thing that makes me so mad with Kennedy Chandler, seeing him drive to the court and then pass it right down into the paint and it just gets stolen because it's an easy, easy steal. But uh, yeah, just, I don't know. Just seeing these guys, I think I'm lost. You go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Just go ahead. I'm fucking lost. Well, I think I think that uh, the reason Kennedy loves to do that is because you can easily get away with that in high school. Like that, that is exactly, kind of yeah. the move in high school. You can just seal on the blaze, the baseline, have him drive underneath and just drop it down because his his defender is probably going to go with you. So if you leave it down, I mean, he's going to score on a point guard, but. The other thing is I've seen something one time where it was like Barnes only brought Ziegler in to push Chandler in practice. So I guess I kind of like kept that narrative in my head for a while until I seen him start producing. And I was like, man, I love when he's on the floor. So let's let them short Kings stand up for one second. Then five, nine boys, let him, let him get their work in. Thanks. But uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Lo, I, I do think that there are times where our offense is so stagnant and it's like, you're so predictable. The point guard's going to come up, throw it to the trail, man. He's going to look cross court, try to make that pass. And if that's not there, then they sometimes just get disjointed and don't know what to do. And they're pushed out to half court trying to run an offense. But there are other times where they look, they have beautiful ball movement. They've got back doors cut and they've got flex cuts going. They've got all this going. And then they get a good look and they just don't hit it. So, I mean, that that's the tough part is like, and that's, that's why I'm so for Justin Powell getting more minutes, just because people know 
that he can shoot the ball and he will shoot the ball if he's given the chance. But I mean, are are y'all afraid of a team or are you gonna step up to the three point line and guard a team that shoots twenty two percent? Probably not. I mean, Alex, you said that about Powell. He he will shoot the ball. I mean, hell, I, I'll shoot the ball. I mean, I'm going to make it. And Powell, he had made it all year, honestly. Yeah, honestly, I think Lowe hit the nail on the head about the chemistry thing. We have no chemistry, and I th- think that's shown with our offensive identity. We, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Like, our, our team doesn't know how they fit in well. I think Barnes is still learning because, honestly, I think some of these guys are not the same people he recruited. I think that's an excellent point. Um, I mean, I don't know. You look at some of these guys' tapes and everything, and they just are not the same guys on the court. Um, I mean, good Lord. And the other thing, too, is I would I don't know. People are probably like, why does she even talk like this because she's not at practice? But I just want to know, like, what they're doing at practice because they're deep. Like they don't need to work on defense anymore. What they need to work on is how to score off of their defensive steals. Cause I swear to God, we get all these steals. We drive down the court. We miss every shot and we don't get the rebound almost. And I'm just like, there's got to be a better way to do this because why are you going to play that good of defense and steal the ball? If you can't make the shot. It, I don't know. And I know that's not what they're purposely trying to do, but it just seems like it's a common denominator. I don't know. You're right, though. I mean, hell, sometimes when we play great defense, we hit a damn uh, layup like I hit the damn lottery. I don't. Like, it's just non-existent. It blows my damn mind sometimes. Uh, that's a great point. I appreciate that. Oh, I also wanted to tell everyone before Brandon and that Drew had too many technical difficulties, unfortunately. Yeah. He will be back on next week with us. Um, but, Brando, you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just like what we talked about last week, I feel like, uh, I, you know, I don't, it's not a proven thing, but the way they play defense, you know, I wonder if, it, like, being a Rick Barnes team, if, you know, the way they play such hard defense that it's not really, like, a thing they work on, like, the transition shooting, if they're just doing, like, shooting drills or – practicing free throws at the line like maybe they can have some like more scrimmages like they did when memphis chickened out and you know try to get some in-game speed but you know like obviously offensively it's not clicking the way our defense is playing and being a number two ranked defense going into the kentucky game and not being able to score in a lot of those possessions you know hurt us Absolutely. I think that they need to find a gun or Dr. Dish or just get more assistant coaches to rebound for them and just have them boys just get in the gym and shoot. That's all they really need to do. Because, I mean, that's that's our biggest issue is just shooting. If if a team's not afraid of you offensively, they, they will pressure you a lot more. They'll get in passing lanes. They'll disrupt your flow. And if it's already bad, it's just going to make it worse. So, I mean, no teams are afraid of us offensively because we just don't put the ball in the hole. So, I mean, if we learn to do that, we'll be, we'll be pretty good. We'll be, we'll be looking good. But until then, we're just going to have to cross our T's and our I's and hope we get there. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I really feel if we're all pretty much on the same page tonight. That's interesting. Um, I did. I know I talked about it earlier, but I got so freaking fired up with last night and Vescovi and Euros and all that shit. That was so funny. Um, 
I don't know. I'd love to see stuff like that. And then when Rick Barnes realized that it wasn't even Viscovi's fault, he popped off too. And I just thought it was hilarious. I live for stuff like that. Um, at least like make it interesting. I don't know. Um, that was honestly my, that, okay. That, and then the Ziegler steal were my two favorite parts of last night. We could have lost and I still would have been excited about those two moments. Um, does anyone have anything else to say about that? Anything else before we go to fan questions? All right. So we are going to listener questions. I am excited about this because we got some football questions too. Um, we love to throw football in there. So at Big Orange Hypel asked us if we have any word on any staff changes. Hopefully none. He says, I'm not sure if he's talking basketball, football, etc. But um, we'll go ahead and go around. Everyone answers. But, you know, for the longest we heard about Cody Burns, which I, I'll be honest, I like Cody. Um, I would have been overly upset had he left. But we heard about him and Tim Banks. I, I don't want to lose Tim Banks. I, I know the last game, it left a poor taste in our mouth. But for a little bit, you know, we heard about him going to Penn State. And then there was a, a little rumor about him going to Notre Dame, which I don't think that was ever a thing. Uh, but I, for the first time, I can't believe I'm saying this. First time as a Tennessee football fan, it looks like we're going to have uh, some co continuity, honestly. And that God knows that's what we this program's needed for 15 damn years. Yeah, there was a, a bunch of rumors and offers that the coaches did have that I knew of uh, Tim Banks. I knew like the most interest he had, I think, was with Duke, and that fell through. I never really saw the Notre Dame thing happening, but one we didn't talk about was Alex Golish. He was approached and offered the Ole Miss offensive coordinator job, and Lane Kiffin was bound and determined to make this man, the I think, the highest paid offensive coordinator in the country. And he actually thought about it for four or five days and sat on it, but, you know, wanted to stay on staff. So that's a good pickup and a, a huge, huge, like, retention because uh, when Heifel was running his offense and Levy originally left, Golish came in and, like, immediately mastered it. So having a guy, Golish, who doesn't get enough credit as he does and calling plays when he does, you know, like, really, really good offensive coordinator. So I'm happy we still have him. Uh, we got Billy High who's like on the off the field stuff that we just got recently, who's a really, really big addition. He uh, was like Mac Brown's right-hand man in North Carolina. They're in their recruiting department. He assisted them with, I think two top 15 classes. And this year right now they're sitting at the eighth right before he left. So really, really good recruiting off the field stuff. Uh, like DR said, I'm glad we don't have anyone leaving. I can't remember the last time we had a Tennessee staff that was a hundred percent retained. So it's, you know, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, – there's not much else I can add to that other than just I'm so for the continuity because I think that's huge for a coach who's coming off a 7-6 and six season where he uh, definitely overachieved and definitely blew all of our expectations out of the water. I know we kind of thought that – well, at least me personally, I, I won't speak for you all, but me personally, I was kind of saying maybe five wins, six if we get lucky, if we, if we kind of surprise somebody that we shouldn't. But – yeah, I'm super happy that this coaching staff has remained strong, at least at the core, with 
head coach OCDC coming back. Um, so I think I really think it's big too to keep Banks because I also think that he overachieved on a team that was just torn apart by transfers and graduation and stuff like that. Like we know how how that goes. But and yeah, same uh, Brando for Billy High. I think that's also a great addition. I didn't have much on him. I just kind of wanted to mention him, but um, everybody's kind of hit all that I've needed to say. So fully agree. Um, I just wanted to point it out that we're all for continuity as long as we like it, right? If there's old as shit and it's continuity, then we don't like it. But I love uh, the staff, and I agree with the Banks thing. Um, I love Hypel. I know that people are like, oh, you know, you might be oversold. I freaking love the guy. I think he'll be here for a long time as long as we pay him well, and I think we'll get good results with him. Um, next question. At Jordan Matthew 21, he asked us, which position do y'all see the biggest improvement coming from in year two, which, again, I assume is football. Um, so, DR, go ahead. Uh, I answered this in the two-part. running On offense, I'll say running back. Jabari Small is going to have another year in, and then we got that freshman. Brando's at Williams. Is that like, okay. Justin Williams, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's a real deal on that. Um, on defense linebacker, and it's not because of any improvement we've made because I haven't seen any. It's just it can't possibly get any worse. I know Jeremy Banks shine, but, I mean, hell, there was no other option out there. Um I'm I'm still – we got we got months ago. I'm not freaking out, not panicking, anything like that. I'm still worried about our defense. You know, I've seen people predict nine, ten wins a season. Hell, I want to see some improvement on the defensive side with some transfers these next two months before I predict anything as far as it goes that. But, yeah, running back and linebacker. Yeah. I'll agree. Uh, I'll do the two parts, too, since you did it. I'll agree on the offensive side of running backs because you'll have Javari Small, uh, second-year Jalen Wright, who's coming off you know a year and a half not even playing high school football his final two years. You got Justin Williams coming in, who was a great find late in the cycle. And then I'm pretty sure they're bound to still take a transfer running back, so that room's only going to get more experience. So I think running backs overall, they'll be like really, really well, have someone that can replace Ty on. Uh, on the defensive side, I'm going to say the defensive line just because of Rodney Garner getting his second year of like around his guys and guys coming back and getting used to his kind of program. Uh, you have the guys coming in that are getting early enroll lead on that side with Tyree West and Jordan Phillips. So, you know, getting those guys more time and experience with Rodney Garner, I feel like it's going to make our defensive line thrive. Some guys we haven't heard of. Uh, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. So, fuck. So this isn't uh, the position the position of greatest improvement, but more of the position of continued success. And I really think the wide receiver spot's going to shine next year. Like it already shined in year one, but we bring back again. We're going to talk about that continuity. We bring back our head coach who loves offense. Bring back our offensive coordinator who loves offense, and we bring back that stud. We got a quarterback number five, Hendo Cinco. He's coming back one more time. And how big was it that Tillman decided to come back? And it's official, finally confirmed. Nayor is in the student portal. He is a student at UT, so he is official. And I just keep, I just keep sitting on the edge of my seat every time number 11's in the game. I want to see Jalen Hyatt ball out. I want to see him just catch 80, 90-yard bombs. I don't care. I just want to see that man take off on the boundary, 
uh, sink, uh, hand in throw a, just a deep ball, let him catch it and run into the checkerboard. That's all I want to see. Every time that man's on the field, I just get so excited. And again, I mean, we've got solid backups. We've got the the Jimmy Boys, Holiday and Callaway, and we've got Romel Keaton, who's also been kind of like on the cusp of a breakout. We've been waiting for it every season, but it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe next year with all that continuity coming back and really just, I mean, we are losing Pelas and then he was a big part of our team. Don't don't let me slack that. But Nayor, I think, will be a very fine replacement, and I think they'll both open up the field for Hyatt. Yeah, I agree with all of you guys, but I chose quarterback. And the reason why is because Hooker really, I mean, he didn't start the whole season for us. And we saw some really bright spots with him. But with some of his known receivers and running backs coming back and just more coaching under Heupel's wing, I think he is really going to shine next year. I see him literally having another like phenomenal record breaking type of season. And with our questions at defense, we absolutely have to have that. So I hope to God that he comes in and just blows us all out of the water. I hope his development is like insane. Um, and I don't, I don't doubt that. I think he can get there. Um, and then also we have um, Taven Jackson coming in. And he might be our future. And so I'm glad that he gets to learn learn under like a leader who's been there and, you know, played at different universities and played with different guys and understands that. I really like Taven Jackson as well. So I hope that, you know, he learns well under this offense and under Heupel. So that was my answer. Um, next question, which you kind of talked about, Alex, but – at Steve Hogan underscore, he asked us if we have any transfer any transfer portal news, which I have no idea. So y'all take over. Yeah, pretty much all I really know about right now is was a uh, Isaiah Nayor. I know that they were looking at a running back from Oregon and Trey Benson, but I think recently he committed to Florida State. Uh, I was gonna I remember what I was gonna say last time, and it translates over to here, but. Tennessee right now with their takes and with getting guys on campus right now, it's kind of hard because of the dead period. So they can't really have anyone on campus until this next weekend. Or I think just this past weekend, they finally were able to get people back on campus. So it'll be big and transfers, you know, coming in because of how our school is set up. It's a stupid rule in my opinion, but it's a still NCAA thing. But uh, I know they're looking for another running back. I know they might be looking at help on the D line and, I think most of that will be coming after spring just because of how they're silently doing the NCAA, like self-imposing violations right now. They're limiting some roster spots. So any guys that were able to come in right now, if they were to take transfers in right now, they'd have to get rid of guys currently there. And I think they're pretty happy with the roster they have. So after spring ball, I expect to see like a lot more movement regarding the portal wise and get more guys on here. I know it's like a full blown panic, just how bad our defense is and how it looks, but I promise we're going to get some guys and find some guys and hopefully, you know, get some big pickups. So, Yeah, I uh, I haven't really followed the transfer, transfer portal much just because there's so much movement going on. And, again, a player can say one thing right now and change. Well, I guess they kind of can't now. But prior to recently, they could do that. Um, <laughs> one thing this I mean, this is completely like not related, but one thing that always cracks me up is when any any player from any other university other than ours, if they announce that they're transferring, 
you'll see at least 20 tweets under their thread of like gifs of our stadium or just like GBO, like listen to this cool song. It's called Rocky Top. <laughs> so shout out our fans that always just on Twitter that will make sure that they tweet at anybody transferring like, hey, if you haven't considered Tennessee, consider him today. But um, no, I was really focused on Nayor because he was taking the visit to um, Ole Miss. And I think he had, was it Texas? Yeah, I, he's I there right now. It was where? He's he's Texas. He's there right now. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's there right now. And it's like, why are you, why are you dating other people if you want to get married to me? So yeah. I think that uh, he was just my big target just because I wanted some more help at the receiver spot because high is kind of, uh, he's still like an X factor, more of a question mark than a, than a check mark. So I was really interested to see where his transfer actually ended up and he's with us. So that's all that really matters. Before we uh, move on, I was—I forgot to mention, uh, they're also after that five-star receiver that entered, uh, Brew McCoy from USC. I don't know how long he'll last in the portal, but if he does uh, last long enough for Tennessee to get in contact there and make a move there, I know there's interest on both sides from like a staff perspective. So a lot of guys from USC out there. And then the other one, I think, is Ochon Mathis. He's an edge rusher from TCU. I think he's deciding late, so that'll benefit Tennessee as well because they're going to have to get a late start on most of these guys. So. Just two more names right there. Brando, you might have heard this, but I've heard this week that part of our um, sanction sanctions yeah. that we're doing on ourselves are um, scholarship reductions. Like uh, we yeah. may only have like 75 men this yeah. year. Like part of some of these guys that's left uh, is because we needed them to, because mm-hmm. we're trying to do the self self imposed uh, violations, which to me, I, I don't think we need to be doing. Uh, NCAA yeah. has no power. I mean, they're about as powerful as this pen right now. Yeah. But have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so I think what their approach is there, like they're trying to do like the smart thing with it. I think what the, the regular number is 85, and I think they're looking at 75. I think it was going to either be like a 10-year scholarship thing over like the span of like two or four years, or you like you just want to knock them off all in one. And I think I've seen that approach around it. So I don't know if they're just trying to do like a one year quiet under the bus, get it there and done and just get that done with. But when you're in the SEC and you have, you know, 10 less roster spots on active scholarship roster, like it's a big disadvantage and it's hard. You know, I think I'm not sure what the total number was this past year, how many we had this past year, but still missing out on 10 guys. Yeah, I think they're doing like an all in one approach, just trying to get it there and done. And I think they. I think they're talking to like the NCAA, like behind the scenes, like getting it approved, like, hey, if we do this, will this work? Because the last thing they wanted was to get a bowl ban and ruin it for the guys after having such a good season. And they don't want a bowl ban going forward. So if it's like an easy way to knock out the park and help recruiting in the long run, I think that's what they're trying to do. Had we had strong leadership last year and we didn't because it was Philip Fulmer at AD, which I mean, you might as well yeah. have this at AD. Yeah. We were three and seven, so you, you should have taken the bowl ban then because you yeah. know, freaking three and seven. But we didn't yeah. do that because Palmer's trying to save his job and his boyfriend Pruitt's job. And honestly, I would rather take a bowl ban last year and this year. I, I get what you're saying, you know, reward the guys, but I'd rather do that than a scholarship reduction because man, we're already at a disadvantage. We lost yeah. 30 players last year. Yeah, um, I think again, that's 2020. I think the best part about it is like it's over the the full 85 roster and it's not going to be like affecting the amount they can take in like a recruiting class of getting like new high school kids in. You just have to be 
under that total 85 on the total roster. So you can still bring in like a full high school recruiting class and go get like five or six transfers and get that threshold, but it's it just going to affect you overall. It was that guy that came on as a preferred walker recently. The one from Nebraska or no. Uh, the UCLA we had a lineman seven. from Trenton, yeah. Tennessee. Is that who you're talking about? Yes. So is, yeah. What does that what does that mean in terms of scholar does that save the scholarship? Yeah, so that, that doesn't go against your total eighty five, I don't think, for your I'm not really sure actually how that would go for the, the total eighty five roster spot. But yeah. I know that I know that uh I don't I'm not really certain, don't, don't quote me on it, but I don't think it affects it. But I know like there's really, really high end walk ons now that you're seeing that we're like high three or four ranked Four, three or four star players and are going you know transferring as a preferred walk-on to a higher university and i don't know if there's like a you're going to a different school without a scholarship actually you just had a school that gave you a full ride scholarship so like what made you want to go to the school to walk on instead okay know? like is there uh -huh. some kind of benefit they're getting like you know i don't understand that but i don't either um that's why that's why <laughs> yeah because it, it's very confusing. But yeah, DR, I agree with DR on that. Like, And honestly, the way we got left over at the Music City Bowl, I wish we did have oh, yeah. year. That was freaking bullshit. Sorry, I don't want to go on a random rant. So, Well, we were supposed to be in that bowl game last year against what Army and they pulled out for COVID. Like, we could have just said a bowl band then and got it over with and yeah. you know, kept some scholarships. But like DR said, we had one brain cell of an administration back then and the recruiting had Br been good. Br Brando, I would have rather sunbathed at night on the interstate on Black Friday traffic than watch us play another fucking game last year. Oh, yeah. That's awful. the honest God truth. That, that team last year made me want to not be a fan anymore. It was awful. Awful. I stopped watching. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to claim that I watched it all because I didn't. I fucking Oh, I did. I couldn't help. Low, I, I, I cannot believe I got to this point in my fandom, but me and my fiance and our kids, we were at a um, steakhouse in Kentucky, and it was the Arkansas game, and I got so pissed that we weren't losing. And Tennessee's <laughs> my team. I love Tennessee. But I, I, whatever it took to get Pruitt fired and Fulmer fired, and I've that was just such a low point in my fandom. And honestly, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and I've heard some of y'all talk about it. That forever changed my fandom. It, it really did. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, what, the fourth or fifth game, and we were actively rooting for this man to lose just so we could finally get him out of there, and they'd pay his buyout and just get him out, even though his buyout was, what, like $12 million. We were ready to pay it and get this man gone. Uh, you know, going what being the COVID year and a whole full SEC schedule, and, you know, expected to go six and four, go three and seven, have the worst year in program history. Uh, already a depressing time in the world. And then you're a 20 year old Vols fan. And like, how do you how do you explain? It was just awful, man. Worst year of my I, life. I remember that year, Brando, because I remember thinking that's that's so Tennessee. Like, we finally got a great team. Like, we could get 10 wins this year. Hmm. And COVID hits. Well, thank God for COVID, because that gave me two less games. I had to watch this bullshit team. Yeah. And I think it was later in that year because I remember the Kentucky game. I was next door at my neighbors and watching JG. Oh, God. Oh my God. JG throw two pick sixes. 
and everybody's just like, oh, well, he'll get better. No, he, he fucking yeah, sucks. He sucks. He's a jumper. And I, I just stuck drunk and stupor back to my house thinking, God, I don't want to cheer for this team ever again. But Arkansas, I want to say the Arkansas game was like the seventh or eighth game, to be honest with you. Because I was like, was pig or whatever the hell they say over there at Walmart. Uh, I, that was just, it was awful, man. That was low point in my fandom as a Tennessee fan. What was the order? Was it was it Kentucky, Auburn, and Arkansas all in order, or something like that? And I, he had the three pick sixes, the one to smoke Monday against Auburn, and then I remember Arkansas. We grew just praying on his downfall, waiting for it to end. I, I just know that second pick six he threw against Kentucky. I just laughed. I mean, that, that's all you could do. Accept it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a a GoFundMe was circulating right for his bio. <laughs> Oh I'm pretty God, sure yeah. we tried to start a GoFundMe just so that well, not we we, but like we everybody. I'm pretty sure they tried to start a GoFundMe just so they could get this man's buyout because I was like, well, they're tied up in money. <laughs> you know, that's funny you say, Lo. I don't know how do you. Twenty four. I I'm about to be twenty five next weekend, actually. Okay, I don't know if any of y'all remember this. I remember back in '09 at the UCLA game, uh, Kiffin and Crompton. And people are out there talking about how Crompton got death threats. And I was the same age as Crompton. I thought, you know what? I had his address. I'd probably send him a letter because that's how mad I was. <laughs> and, and now looking back now at my age now, yeah, that's freaking weird. But I was his age then. But, uh, you know, you're talking about that. That UCLA game uh, for Tennessee back then reminds me of that Kentucky-Tennessee game last year, honestly. And it, how it forever changes your fandom. You I a, oh, sorry. I have a quick question for the for the pod. Who who would get more hate on Twitter? We we know that JG got some serious hate on Twitter, but do you think that Jonathan Crompton, if he was in his heyday when Twitter was around, who do you think would get more hate? Dr. goes first for sure. Crompton was a big hit, guys. He was a five star. Um, it's hard to say because back then Twitter wasn't a thing. I didn't even get a Twitter till Butch Jones first or second year. So I don't know how Crompton's commitment video would have went, but I do remember JG's commitment video sitting there in Times Square staring up, you know, at the damn aliens in the sky. Like you were all this and that. So that, that's very hard to answer. Crompton to me, again, you didn't social media wasn't as big a thing back then, but JG seemed cockier. And we all remember that Georgia Tech game. Uh, I, I still think JG because Crompton never had a game where he called his own number against Alabama and where he threw two. Oh, Jesus Christ almighty. Keep me near the cross where he had two straight pick sixes against Kentucky, a team who you should boat race every time. So yeah, it's JG all the way. Yeah. I'm going to have to say JG just because of like my age and like JD's whole career. I actually got to see like and vividly remember and seeing like him come in as a recruit and all the quarterbacks in that class that Butch Jones passed up on to take Jerry Garantano and looking back at it now, it's just, it's disgusting. Seeing the guys that came on official visits to the school, you got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, more than I could probably say, but uh, definitely JG and seeing not only just how he regressed over all four years, but then seeing the guys and the receivers that he played with go into the NFL and have these crazy careers and, it, it boils me to seeing Marquez and Josh Palmer and it's going to be now Jawan Jennings and seeing guys that like I vividly saw on the team and saw this man just ruin their draft stock one by one, week by week. 
There is no question about it for me. It's JG. And I mean, this man or boy or whatever you want to call him when I was watching football, I mean, I would get so angry that one of my tweets made it on a Saturday Down South article. And now every time I Google my name, it is plastered on there about my tweet about JG. However, I did not tag him in it because I think that's a shitty thing to do. But still, that's how mad he made me. I was so irate. I couldn't stand it. It was every season, every game. Um, it was almost weird, honestly, how upset I got. <laughs> Why? I don't know. So, JG. I, I, I get you, Low. I'm telling you, that Alabama game in 19, I, I remember watching that. We had a chance, and he called his own number, a quarterback sneak, and I got blackout drunk and called into a voluntary action show. And some guy. I remember. The call before, you know what I'm talking about, Brando, talked about how none of this mattered because Jesus Christ died on the cross for mission our sins. And I lost my shit over it. I mean, he's right, I guess. And uh, I got on there. I said, you know, no offense to God for me, but. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for JG for that bastard. Or, well, I said that MF or to be quarterback in Tennessee. And I woke up next morning. I had hundreds of new followers and Barso had written an article about how a Tennessee fan had used the crucifixion of Christ uh, to compare it to JG. <laughs> and, uh, n- nothing ever come close to JG to me. And, and you got to remember Crompton, man, he made a comeback and he was a badass quarterback that year and he ended up playing nice. over or in Canadian football and, Really good uh, professional quarterback for about a decade. And JG, that's not going to happen. I mean, he may go play for my son's flag football team this fall, but that, that's about as far as he's going to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I honestly, I don't even know how we got to all of this because we've been on like a 15 minute rant and it was about the transfer portal. That was the question. Uh, it's not balls <laughs> football. I don't know. <laughs> I am. Uh, if y'all don't have anything else, I'm going to go on to our next two questions. I'm getting flashbacks to the uh, Call Your Own Call, JG Goal on Bama 2019. I just see it in my head now, thanks to you. I lost it over that. God, that was horrible. I Honestly, I thought I drank enough alcohol to forget about that, but obviously not. Here it goes again. Um, this is a nice refresher. This is a non-sports-related question. From at Juju underscore Duggan, Dugan, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, 18. Um, she, and you guys do have to answer this, either from a friend perspective or a sexual perspective, whatever you prefer. Who is the biggest heartthrob, Rip Wheeler, Aragorn, or Han Solo? Well, it's definitely not going to be a sexual perspective for me, but Aragorn is a part of the greatest trilogy that's ever been made in the Lord of the Rings. So no matter what the question is, it's going to be Aragorn. Um, I don't understand the rest of it. It's, I think it's Julia. I think she's the one that ran track for Tennessee. But uh, I, on the Rip guy, I don't, I don't know who the hell that is. I know he's in um, Yellowstone. I've never watched it. Han Solo. Uh, Harrison Ford's a great actor, but... Lord of the Rings is way better than Star Wars to me. All right, this is going to be so disappointing because I literally don't know who the first two people are besides Han Solo. I don't know if it's like my age thing, but I have no idea who uh, Eric Wheeler and the, the second person is. I feel Rip. so bad. Rip Wheeler. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rip Wheeler. Uh, I'm, I guess, just Han Solo, just because I've seen a couple fucking Star Wars movies. But I feel so bad because I know Julie and I follow her on Twitter, so I feel like just having to answer that question shittily. Like I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat with Brando. I also feel bad that I only, I only know of Han Solo. See, I almost said Han first off, but I did a Google search and just did Google images and just pure looked at them, and I, don't, I mean. The Rip Wheeler, I don't know. He just a Western boy. I don't know. He he wear a cowboy hat. That's like? cool. That's all I got. I Let me just pick Rip Wheeler because it's different from Dr. and Branto. <laughs> Low, you be the side boat. All right. Let me do some educating here. Yeah. So, Rip Wheeler is one of the leads in Yellowstone. Which it took me a while to get on the bandwagon, but once I got on it, I couldn't stop. Um. Definitely, no question about it. Let me just break it down real quick. I have never been a Star Wars person ever, so Han Solo was out. Um, I do like Lord of the Rings, but Rip Wheeler still wins. The reason why is because he's like a true, hardworking man, and he's able to put up with crazy ass at crazy ass Beth. I mean, she is a complete basket case, and he just puts up with it. He really doesn't try to change her or anything, just puts up with it, puts up with the crazy, won't hold it against you. Uh, ride, a die, ride or die type of dude. I love Rip Wheeler. So thank you, Julia, for giving a non-sports question. Um, I love it. You can't find a guy like Rip Wheeler these days. They aren't ride or die like that. So They always say now, if you're a Yellowstone fan, in a world of Jamie's, be a damn rip. So that's my answer. And now you guys have to go watch it so you understand. I've never watched a single episode. <laughs> Honestly, you got to start at like, you start obviously at season one. But I mean, like once you get to episode three or four, it's pretty good. Um, but season four was a letdown for sure. I've got it on my list to watch, Lo. I'm trying to get uh, Ozark rewatched and get the new set. Have you seen that? Oh, I love Ozark. I tried to rewatch it last night, but fell asleep because it's coming out this week, right? Yeah, yeah. That damn good show. Brando, uh, Al, y'all have got to watch it. it. Amazing show. I got through like, the Zanet, first two episodes. So it keeps on the edge of your seat. I got it. I watched it in three days. <laughs> I don't even know if that's possible. The whole show in three days? Wow. Lord, I've watched two episodes and gave up. <laughs> I, oh, I think it's totally worth Ozark for sure. Probably my, probably the best show on Netflix, honestly. I mean, if I'm really thinking about it, but they took freaking three years to make it so this season better blow this, my socks off. Uh, Ozark's the best one on Netflix if Breaking Bad's been taken off. Breaking Bad's the greatest show ever made. I do like Breaking Bad a lot, so that's a good point. And Dexter, too. I don't know. It's a lot going on. <laughs> um, next last question now this is a baseball question um, at BNA by MDW he asked us or she I'm not sure I didn't look um, they asked us after a terrific <laughs> 50 and 18 2021 season UT baseball falls all the way down to number 34 in the 2022 preseason rankings and number eight in the SEC. Where do you think the Vols will finish this 
this upcoming season and can they make it back to the college world series? So I, I'm not going to lie. I had my cherry popped on being a college baseball fan last year. I never watched it. And, um, Tony Vitello, man, he's a Bruce Pearl for baseball for me. He's the reason I'm into it. I don't, I, I can't answer this question. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not Miss Cleo, but um, I'm going to say regional or super regional because uh, I don't know how the other teams are going to be. I think there was the, they just released the preseason pre rankings. It was like six of the top 10 was SEC because as good as SEC is in football, we're way better in baseball. So um, I know we don't play Arkansas this year. I was looking at the schedule because I'm trying to plan out when I go to a game. But, yeah, I'm going to say regional or super regional, and we host one, and I'll be pretty happy with that, honestly. But I think next three years, my expectations, I want to I win the whole thing with Vitello. I think we can if we keep them happy. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Uh, last year I feel like got, like, Tennessee baseball, like, really, really on the map, a bunch of new fans, and just getting a feel for the coach. I feel like we finally have a coach – that everyone in this fan base that even if they don't like baseball, they see his highlight, they see his swagger and how he approaches the team and really loves Tennessee and kind of buys into that. Uh, I think pitching wise, we're going to be like a lot better, but I'm just curious to see how we do like offensively going into the season. If we can like, you know, if that hot hitting that we had all year last year kind of flows into this year, having walk off home runs like magic against Wright state, I can easily see like a, semi-final like regional appearance but you know if the luck runs out like how is this team going to be because obviously you lot of loss of talent like a lot a lot of talent in the draft but already in 2023 and 2024 like you touched on in the next three to four years like the recruiting is already looking through the roof with Tony Vitello and he's just out there recruiting so I think Tennessee baseball easily in like the next year or two can probably win it all but I think this year like 39th is, is that what it is right now 39th like that's just criminal uh, 34. 34 still. That's just criminal. I feel like for a team that just made it all the way in Omaha for like a pretty new head coach. So. Yeah, I agree with both DR and Brando. I actually looked at the, uh, it's a D1 baseball rankings, which I think is a little bit more official than maybe um, whatever that person was looking at that asked the question. Cause I think that's, kind of what they go based off of. And they've got the Vols at 19. So I, I think that's that's probably about where they fall. But like he said, they are eighth in the SEC. And the really crazy thing is that there's six others in the top 10 from the SEC. And there's three that won 49 or more with Ark, Vandy, and Mississippi State. Mississippi State obviously went and won it all. So there's, there's a lot, or I guess there's some questions about us, but there's also just a lot of talent in the SEC, like DR said. So, I mean, getting through them will – if, if we do what we did last year and we get through that, there's a very good chance that we end up in the College World Series. But, again, we do have to replace a lot of offense. Like Brando was saying, a lot of our bats are gone. But we still have Sewell and Tidwell and Gilbert. And we also added the Halverson kid from Mizzou who apparently was clocked at like 102 one time, I think, something like that. Um, and top five class. So it'll be interesting just to see how those new pieces come in and if they can contribute immediately because we need it. Yeah, y'all really hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> I'm right with DR. Uh, yeah, last year I became a super baseball fan, and I didn't care to admit that I was a bandwagoner. I've always liked baseball, but like, honestly, and I was just so desperate for a Vols team to like 
do well, you know? And so when I got behind them, not like at the end, towards the middle, beginning middle, you know, I'm not going to lie about it. And I wrote it out and I watched freaking every game after that. And I spent a lot of money on tickets. I went to super regionals and I had the best time. Honestly, I was like, I don't know how this game is going to be. And, you know, then my friend was like, God, that looked rowdy. Like, could you get me a ticket? And I was like, I'll try. And then I got her a ticket and we were like going and it was so fun. Um, last year's team was awesome. I, I now it's led to me. I bought season tickets for this year's team. So, and also if you made it this far, if anyone is still listening, um, I will be giving a few of those away because it just doesn't work out with my work schedule. So on the page, I'll be doing some giveaways for the games that I can't make. Um, it'll be all yours to attend. But in terms of the question, I think it was low. Um, I'm, I'm all for Tony Vitello. If anyone can get them back to the College World Series, it's him. That's my answer. Um, I, I want to touch on Brando and Lowe, what y'all said. So, Brando, you're kind of talking about things, and you got to remember, like, Tennessee baseball has not done anything since Todd Helton. So we're kind of looked at as like a George Mason. Uh, I, I think that's why we're, like, in our eyes, orange gl colored glasses, we should be a top-10 team. But, you know, nationally, we're like a George Mason. Maybe we'll get back, and if we do, yeah. we can keep building on that. And, Lowe, you got to know about talking about uh, Tony Vitello. And earlier in the podcast, you mentioned how Grant and Admiral was when you got into it. So people, when a lot of people get on to the Pearl Nistas, as they call us, um, how you feel about Grant and Admiral and how you feel about Tony Vitello, that's what got us into basketball all those years ago, or for me anyway. In 2005 was Bruce Pearl. And I'm telling you, I say all the time, Tony Vitello is Bruce Pearl. For those that didn't live through the Bruce Pearl era, <laughs> Tony Vitello is Bruce Pearl. Probably better morally and, uh, you know, not as talked about um, personal life. But it, if you didn't get to live that, you're living it now with Vitello. He's definitely more attractive. Don't forget that. <laughs> I believe the fifth one. You're an expert uh, on that. I'll, I'll take your advice. Yeah, the thing about Tony Vitello and Di, you'll know about how when he calls in on you know the drive, like the man's as real as it gets. He'll tell you straight up how he feels, what he feels, who he, how he feels about who. Like last year with the Arizona coach or the LSU coach, where you know he wasn't scared to talk about you know like stuff that's happened in the past as a coach. Like he's he's able to let it rip, and I think him being as real as he is, and his approach to how he's doing everything, like recruiting wise and going to the tournaments, like it's going to take notice and, you know, being a school like Tennessee, how you said it's not, we're like the George Mason in baseball. Like it's not a really known, you know, known baseball school, but then you're having a guy like Tony Vitello who's going out here and getting like impressions on tweets or just, you know, being himself and it's getting noticed. You know, I feel like that's a really bright spot for uh Tennessee baseball. And I still think back to that moment when uh, after the grand slam against Wright state, he was the first guy running down that first baseman line and, you know, just celebrating with the fans and being as real as it can get. And I think that's like the best thing we need because I, I'm not like really all well known on like the Bruce Pearl years, but like having a coach that's, you know, like not afraid to let it rip and tell you how he feels about somebody or a prospect or what a player is going to do is like some fresh, like fresh breath. Yeah. DR, now you got me reminiscing about Pearl because uh, during 
Pat Summit week the other day, they were posting highlights from her and stuff. And there, there was the video that uh, it was just a little side by side clip where Pearl was painted up for Pat's game. And then right after that, Pat was in a cheerleading outfit for Bruce's game. And I mean, that was like, there is nothing more sweet than like that time of Tennessee basketball, I think. Cause those were, those were both top 10 teams and they were competing night in and night out. I remember that the boys made an elite eight run, lost to Michigan state by one, um, took a shot at half court. I think it was like JP Prince or something like that, but I can't remember. I can't remember what the lady balls were doing. Well, I guess they were, they won the championship in 08, didn't they? So somewhere around there, I mean, they're both doing that and that like, I would give anything to get those states back. I, I really would. I'm sorry. I'll be honest. So I'm going to tell a quick story. And this is my Bruce Pearl ball. If you can see it right here. The reason I'm a Tennessee basketball fan was in 05, my little brother was getting chemo treatments in Memphis. Well, that night, Tennessee was in Memphis to play them. And uh, the St. Jude nurse came there and said, uh, hey, guys, it was just me and my brother. My mom went out with my dad so they could, you know, get out of the hospital for a little bit and said, uh, uh, the Tennessee coach is on the line. We're like, oh, shit. You know, Philip Fulmer's on the line. And they're like, no, Bruce Pearl. And I was, I, I'll never forget this. Uh, 05, how old was I? I was 16. I said, well, who the hell is Bruce Pearl? And they said, the basketball coach. And uh, he talked to me and my brother on speakerphone for a while. And he said, no, I'd appreciate y'all would uh, watch the basketball game. And we watched, and they won in Memphis that night. And I'm, I'm telling that story to relate to Vitello because Brando talked about Vitello goes on the drive. Vitello did that lemonade stand and all that. He he is doing exactly what Bruce Pearl did. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be a Tennessee basketball fan if it wasn't in 05 when he called my sick 13-year-old brother and asked us to watch the game. And that's the kind of stuff Vitello's doing. He's building a fan base. He's building a fan base that wasn't there in the past. And I love to see it. And people that didn't live through the Pearl days, I, I, I love that you're getting to see what it was like for Vitello. In college baseball, it's like like used to, it was when Tennessee football is over with, all right, I got to wait another year until it starts. Now, guys, we got basketball, football, and baseball. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing, e- even if basketball and football can be a little disappointing. 100%. And thank you for sharing that, DR. I, you know, I really, I didn't get to see anything of, of Bruce, Bruce Pearl at all. So I am, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited for the future of the university. I feel like it's going a lot better. Also, before you forget, I know we always cover like men's sports, but the Lady Vols have totally kicked ass. And they deserve all the respect and the glory. And I am very happy for them. And yeah, I think we've, we've, this is the end of the podcast. We went way longer than we expected again, but I've had a blast. Um, does anyone else have any closing thoughts for the evening? Uh, no, I mean, history, history repeats itself, guys. And we talked about this, the, renaissance of baseball football is finally getting on track but the lady balls man i mean they're looking great and it's best we've looked since summit's been there holly warlock was not a good coach um but she's got some good kids and i'm interested to see what we do in the fall it's honestly the point where now i'm trying to get tickets to take my daughter who's getting into basketball to get her to go watch it play and i love what kelly's doing with it i don't know if y'all seen there's videos like of summit and Kelly back to back, and man, they're they're the same people. 
And I pray to God Kelly can do the same championship wise as Pat Summit. Yeah, pretty much everything you said, DR. I agree. Uh, just super happy with the Lady Vols and what Kelly's doing with the team. Uh, I saw the video you're talking about where, like, literally, it's like her hands, her emotions, like, literally side by side, same thing. Like, she's coaching through Pat. And, uh, you know, that's something we always talked about was whenever uh, our last coach, I forgot her name because I wasn't really in the Lady Vols basketball then. Yeah, Harley. But uh, just seeing someone that brought that kind of relationship to the team, uh, you know, finally having them locked in. I think that's really – it seems really scary. They can be really good and to win by 30 on a top 20 team against Kentucky and kind of get revenge for the boys, you know. They're off to a good start. Hopefully they can keep it up and go a far away. Yeah, I mean, they're honestly kind of the direct opposite of our men's team. <laughs> they're a super deep team that gets offensive contributions from everybody. Uh, top to bottom, they are, they're super solid. That's why they're number five, 17 and one. Only loss was to Stanford, who's uh, number three right now. I think something like that. So, um, like y'all said, I hope I hope for that Pat Summit success again. That was incredible. The lady built women's college basketball. So, it's it's just it's right to see the lady balls in the top five, honestly. And they should be in every elite eight, most final fours, every other national championship. One hundred percent. I just I don't know. We had to give them a shout out. I love them. I hope they are like insanely successful. I didn't like Holly Warlick at all. You could tell she didn't have control of the team, just like JP did not have control of his team. They just, no one respected either. And so we made a good decision. We, like it was me. Um, the university made a fantastic decision on their coaching choices, I feel like. So I feel like we're in a upward trend in men's and women's athletics. So I guess this DR, I see you about to click the button. Do you have anything else to say? You good? Yeah, I, I'm trying to make sure I get to the two-hour two mark. I will say this, and this is something we can pick up in the next episode. Guys, was this the one thing that Fulmer did right? Was uh, Kelly? Because honestly, I wanted Carol Lawson. I, I, I remember Carol Lawson playing back in the day, but uh, this may be the one thing Fulmer did right. Because other than this, you know, he did say recruiting's been good. Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much say so, you know, not being able to pull the trigger on JP, not being able to, you know, uh, one to lick, you know, even though we ran about how bad Rick Barnes is doing now, you know, one to let him just walk away and, you know, having to have our higher ups, you know, be like, all right, you can't make that move. The one thing he did do right was probably bring in Kelly. And, you know, also with Vitello, you know, making sure Vitello, he wasn't going to get his money. Philip, you know, just all the things he did wrong. I feel like that is the one thing he probably did do right. So we went through like four ADs in a week and a half. Um, who who hired Vitello? Was it Fulmer? It was, was Curry. It? it was Curry. Okay, so that's the one thing Curry did right. Yeah. So then, yes, I agree. I think Fulmer did hit this one nail on the head. Carol Lawson was an interesting uh, prospect for the job. I I would have absolutely loved her, and I hope she's doing well at Duke. I haven't really just followed up with them, obvious reasons. But um, I was kind of iffy on Kelly, but she has absolutely surpassed all my expectations for her in this team. So shout out her, shout out them. Fulmer got it right. I fully agree. I mean, I really – you know, one of my patients um, – they have a box to the lady balls and they will offer, they will take us like once or twice a year. And 
like the past two years when Holly was going downhill, I wasn't even really excited to go just simply because I could see that her players, I mean, you could even, the players were interviewing and they were like talking shit almost about her. And I was like, that is not what should be happening at Tennessee. So when he brought her in, I was skeptical, but I was also pleased that we got rid of Holly Warlick because she obviously wasn't getting it done. So I, yeah, I do think he did the right thing here. And I think she'll be around for years to come. Probably. I really think she's, she will surprise a lot of people. Anything else? No. All right. Um, so I guess that's it. All the notes are gone. Drew left early, technical difficulties. And like I said, I've got baseball tickets. I'll be giving some away um, on the page, on the Vols ATV page on Twitter, because my work schedule just doesn't cut out for some of them. So look for some giveaways on there. Um, had an awesome time. Good night and go Vols. Sure.